Hi all, this is Mia. Today's guest is Latham Thomas, and Latham and I had a lot to say. <laughs> so this interview will be in two parts. Hope you enjoy and can stick around. There are so many ways for us to, to, to move intentionally and to connect with our, our work and to connect with other people that doesn't destroy us. Welcome to the Emergent Strategy Podcast, hosted by the Emergent Strategy Ideation Institute. We are a collective of facilitators, mediators, trainers, and curious human beings interested in how we get in right relationship with change. Today, I'll be guiding our interview. I'm Mia, ESII's Mason of Abundance and Healer in Residence. Emergent strategy is the way we generate and reshape complex systems and patterns with relatively simple interactions. And I am so fortunate that today I get to have the pleasure, the honor, the opportunity to be with our guest, Latham Thomas. Named one of Oprah Winfrey's Super Soul 100, Latham is the founder of Mama Glow, a global maternal health and education brand serving birthing people along the childbearing continuum. Mama Glow supports birthing families during the fertility period, pregnancy, birth, as well as during postpartum offering, hand-holding through their bespoke doula services. Their doula education platform empowers birth workers around the world. Latham is a fierce advocate for birth equity and works to bridge policy gaps in maternal health. She's co-founder of the Continuum Conference and the Doula Expo and the Mama Glow Foundation Advancing Reproductive Justice Through Education, Advocacy, and the Arts. Welcome, Latham. Mia, <laughs> thank you so much for having me here. It's an honor to be in, in community with you. That's a deep honor. And just so y'all know that, so Latham and I went to college together. So yes. we've had, <laughs> so we have had the honor of being in community for some decades now mm -hmm. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and really, really a, a true blessing. So, well, uh, let's just start off with the, how are you right now? How are you today? Mm. You know, Mia, I'm in my body and I'm feeling, feeling into the season that we're in this feeling of, you know, of, of wanting to like, let the sun kiss my skin and let the, the cool breeze, you know, move, you know, along my body. I'm somebody who really like, you know, every couple of months, I just have to get, I just have to be in the sun and the water, you know, the warmth, right? And so it's a reminder right now for me to get in <laughs> some water and get in some sand and, um, and always makes me reflect on living in the Northeast. And really, I think the reason that I stay, you know, besides the work is, you know, my son is in college in Boston, so I don't want to ever be too far away. So we'll see if I end up, you know, transplanting myself someplace warmer in the coming years. Mm -hmm. But 
Thank you. Well, so there are a few questions that we like to start with folks with, but we want to first just, you know, share that we have some ideas about how your work is moving in the world according to like what we experience and see. And that that in some ways makes you an emergent strategist. So I want to first just sit with this to share some of the elements and principles we feel you exemplify and see if you accept that premise and accept being called an emergent strategist. So the elements and principles that we see you um, utilizing, embodying, engaging are creating more possibilities. What you pay attention to grows and then interdependence. So we see this throughout your work in so many ways, but I want to know if that feels like, yeah, if you could be like, yeah, I feel that I can, I accept that premise that I am an emergent strategy practicing these elements. <laughs> Absolutely. I feel like those phrases even are so woven um, into the work. So yeah, definitely. I accept that premise. <laughs> Oh, yay. Um, excellent. Uh, and it's true. You know, there's times reading and listening to your work where I'm like, oh, my goodness. It was, was it something in the air? <laughs> like a, something that water that we drank. But then, you know, but I think, you know, kind of what gets to the heart of that is there is something I want to hear and we want to hear from you about, like, you know, your political lineage. You know, mm. what are some can you share with us some of the most important parts of your political lineage that have shaped you. And I'm also just interested in like, and your teachers, who are some of the people that you now, as you were moving through the world, kind of feel, feel guided by? Mm. First of all, what a beautiful question and invitation. Thank you. You know, I feel like I'm someone who sort of was in a um, was raised right in this space um, from Oakland, California, and so in the eighties, growing up in Oakland, there was I had this sort of mixture of experiences. One experience and and lens that's sort of woven into the work and and also into my identity was you know growing up in a place where. I knew the names of, you know, all the neighboring plants and, you know, plant medicine growing up with a grandfather who, you know, in a family, but also with a grandfather who grew weed from as long as I could remember and still does and smokes every single day. He's in his late eighties and still super healthy. Bless him. God bless him. Right. Um, and so, so watching someone who knew how to grow and, and nurture and tend to plants, um, learning a lot about plant systems through him. You know, so that was one lens, right, of, of sort of the, the ambient landscape and, and how it sort of informs um, our lives and also how we imprint on the environment as well. So I, I, I feel like that was one of the lenses that sort of shaped my ID and, and my politic. And then the other is through, you know, the legacy that we sort of were all drinking the Kool-Aid or the water that you said, like, is it in the water of movement, you know, movement organizations and movement initiatives and, and I would say legacies, right? Like if we look at, you know, the Panthers, for instance, which was such a deep, deeply rooted 
uh, organization in in Oakland and also within the the sphere of influence, especially for my mother who grew up you know, next door, actually on a street that was like sort of in a three block radius of where all of that activity was happening in the 60s, right? And and so like how that influenced her and how my grandfather would have conversations with, you know, um, like Angela Davis, who like signed books to him and stuff and, you know, was very nice to my mother who was getting bullied as a child in high school, actually. And so she was a, a really great like mentor to her during those um, very just sensitive, you know, periods of growth, right? And so these are all kind of things that I feel like are part of a tapestry that, you know, when funneled through into my upbringing, uh, show up as, you know, um, more, you know, community oriented, more about, you know, seeing this sort of world through a lens of interconnectedness, through interdependence, especially because I also, when I look at science and I look at the natural world, and if we look at, you know, even down to our cellular bodies, you know, like everything is connected to and informed by everything else. And so this landscape of, or I should say this constellation really for me, if I look back now, I can see sort of various entry points of influence. You know, some of the literary godparents, right? That I would say, you know, people like Audre Lorde, which which is like, you know, um, a compass, an internal compass as a literary um, godmother, you know, or godparent. I, I feel like I've had the the opportunity to be in community also with amazing people who have driven their work forward through culture and have made such an impact, you know, people like you and, and Adrian, we were all like, you know, bubbling in the same, you know, like in this same cauldron at the same time, you know, on this planet. And I feel like I've had so many influences like that, you know, so, and, and been able to, you know, have our different beliefs and influences and life experiences touch and imprint each other, right, to support our our growth. And so um, I don't feel like there's one particular tether, but I do feel like there's multiple prongs, right, that I feel like, you know, if you pull on one area, it's attached to something else. <laughs> and, um, and all those things I feel like make up, you know, kind of how I'm seeing the world, but especially you know, you know, I, I really see a, um, you know, we're in a place where we're so, we're so far away in so many ways from an understanding of, of what it means to be in right relationship with, um, with each other and what it means to like care for each other, you know, like we've built so many systems against caregiving. And so this, this innate, part of each of us, which does want to not only support um, someone else. And, you know, we have this, this externalized experience of drive and of, you know, success and all these things that we've, you know, come to sort of exemplify and, and, and um, exalt in, in Western culture. And then really like globally, you know, sort of push that out as like a, an ideal to, to reach towards. But I think like at the expense of each other and at the expense of our well-being, 
individually and collectively, there's so much suffering, right? And, and now we're seeing more conversations surfacing around, you know, how people are navigating being human on this planet right now. I love, I love this like interconnected tether, right? Like this way in which we cannot, you know, you start to feel that, and also the cauldron. Cause to me, if it's like, it's like, there's a point where it just is all bubbling up together. There's so many influences. You can certainly pull a thread and then notice that there's so many others. And at the same time, it just really creates this like really fertile ground for hopefully generating at least a template and some guides for how to be in right relationship. And that being said, I really honor what you're saying too, is that we are not in a place that is honoring caregiving as a high value, you know, and, um, and so it feels like we need important reminders and models for that in this time and ways back towards each other because the practices that are, I guess, fundamentally economically driven, capitalist driven, really can, you know, Pull, push us in a direction that is like divisive because it makes money. It's attention seeking, you know, rather than that, like, which is slowing down, connecting and building. And so, yeah, I really appreciate those reflections and how in many ways the work that you're doing is about that supporting right relationship first with oneself and then the beings that we bring into this place. And then, and then, and then that creating a <clears throat> a way of being together in this world that is honored by wisdom from the elements and kinship with what's around us. Mm -hmm. So I want to like have folks hear a little bit about what you're doing exactly. And I want you to tell us a little bit about Mama Glow. Tell us about, you know, what you're practicing because it feels to me well one, I think fundamentally we recognize inside of emergent strategy that this is all about practice. Right, like how we get in right relationship is about what we practice on a regular basis, and um, and then also both between Mama Glow and then Glow, like there's a way in which you spend a lot of time sharing with us practices, practices that can help guide, that can help kind of create this really fundamental space of abundance within us that then can be shared. And so anyway, so I'd like to hear what are you practicing, and then. A little bit about, you know, tell us about your work. Thank you for that. I I have to say and share something that is so beautiful before I answer that question, because many people don't know this, but for those who do know me or have met me in real life, know that on my left forearm, I have a pretty extensive burn. I got in uh, 2001 in college and um, I was in a fire. And after that fire, there was a lot of healing that had to take place. It was like a fourth degree burn and um, I didn't have actual skin or just, it was like really burned all the way down through 
multiple layers of, of skin to where there was like a divot and I had to regrow skin and it took a lot of time to heal. And in that time, I didn't have the courage or the stomach <laughs> to change my dressings. And uh, one beautiful thing that I remember, and I can remember it is like, like it was yesterday, and I can close my eyes and I can see it almost as someone watching you know, a movie. I can see this scene. I remember the bathroom. I remember how the light was coming in and I was seated on, on uh, the bathroom uh, toilet you know, seat and Mia was hovering over me and she took my arm very gently and she removed the dressings and she didn't flinch at what she saw. And she said, wow, it's healing. And she cleaned the wound. And I remember looking over very, very briefly and just feeling like, you know, I would pass out. So I turned the other way. And very gently, it didn't even hurt when she was handling me. And she put, you know, whatever, I forget what the concoctions were that we were putting at the time. And, uh, and, and she did that for me. And she, she took care of the dressing. And it was like something that, I mean, it was like being, you know, cared for in a way that I feel like is like the highest honor, the, 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 the biggest expression of love really, right, is, is, is through caregiving, is through nurturing. It is through, you know, um, showing people love by being just really gentle with them. And, and through that tenderness, I believe I also experienced healing because, you know, that experience is very isolating and, you know, not having family nearby, uh, to sort of help me, you know, I really leaned on my friends in that time. And in that fire, you know, I was, you know, houseless for a couple months. And so I was sort of moving around. And, and so Mia was one of those people who supported me through that experience. Imani Uzuri was one of the people who supported me through that experience of Sion Katema. There was a bunch of people, but, but Mia, I, I just remember so clearly, you know, how tender she was. And, and I, it was in that moment too, for me, that I realized that beyond just the friendship that we had and, and the way that she moved through the world, that I knew that she would be called into, you know, portals of healing. I knew that like her work would take her in the direction of, of healing. And I didn't know what that would look like, but I knew that that was going to be at the center, really, right at the crux of the work that she would do, and and I I could feel that in the moment, and so I just want to, um, you know, offer that up as a um, as an experience that definitely impacted me in such a beautiful way, and certainly helped me to to heal. I have no keloids mm -hmm. on this arm, like it, you know, it healed really well. You could still see where it took place, but. You know, I feel like all the love that I got and, you know, the just the belief in also, you know, plants and stuff, which we used a lot of natural things to heal, which was amazing. But I think it was also the love that I got. Like the it was that reflection, that divine reflection of 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 love and of service that I feel like really um, impacted my healing experience. So thank you, Mia, for that. 
Oh, <laughs> you are so welcome. Like, it, I didn't know any other way except to love you and to give something that I could in a time when you needed some support. And for me, it felt like an honor to be alongside you in your healing journey. And I really appreciate hearing the reflection from you in that way. Um, yeah, so... I feel humbled and I feel thankful that you have, that we have a shared experience of tenderness and care together. And yeah, I'm really happy I could be there in that way. And I'm thankful for you feeling the love that you deserved and that I could be a conduit of that. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't be in conversation with you and not share that. <laughs> it's a community. I was like, no, I got to, before, because I'm like, we're going to get into so much. And then I'm going to be like, oh, man, I didn't get to say this. And so I know that it wasn't, I was just saying, I know it wasn't connected to the question that you asked me now, but I felt like it was really still, um, it was it was really more connected to the question that we had before. So I just wanted to make sure that I that I shared that because it, it was such an important um, experience for me. And also, I think it was a template, right? Like, I think it was um, one of those moments where we get to see and experience what it's like to, you know, have our most primal needs met, right? Like feeling safe, you know, feeling this um, sense of dignity and support and also belonging, right? Like I knew that I mattered. I knew that I belonged to someone in that moment that I was safe, you know? And, and so those, you know, you saying that that's the only way you knew, but it was like the only thing I needed. Right. And, um, and I feel like that's where we must move back towards, right? Like, you know, to a place where really, honoring our our human needs and um and making sure that the way that we navigate the world is through a lens of safety dignity and belonging and and returning people home back into their bodies you know like a lot of people are fleeing um they're quarantined in their minds and they're fleeing their bodies and if we can help people feel more at home and just you know, ground in themselves and, you know, trust the wisdom of their bodies and really be in a position where they feel safety, you know, in, in the world that they're navigating. That's really important. And we are living through times where people don't feel safe. And so, um, so much of what I'm practicing right now has been um, really informed by what we're experiencing outside too. You know, living in quarantine was actually really good for me because I feel like uh, the past, well, before, before um, March of 2020, right? If we look back to how we were living before, collectively, it was disordered, right? And it was dysfunctional. This idea of sort of, you know, moving at this accelerated pace and you know, commuting for hours and standing under people's armpits on the train and, you know, eating, standing up and rushing to the next place. And this whole, you know, sit, 
uh, spending like eight hours away from your home at a desk, you know, in a box somewhere and then getting with family for like an hour and then watching TV and going to bed, like, you know, then scrolling yourself to sleep. Like this is really dysfunctional, right? And so this invitation that many of us had, and I also want to be careful to not, you know, discount or forget or displace the um, real experience that many people had of housing insecurity, of job insecurity, of food insecurity, of violence in their homes. Um, you know, this was real of, of, of houselessness. Like a lot of these things occurred as well. And, um, and then also people got really sick and people lost loved ones. And people also had an opportunity to sort of look at what this opportunity presented to be at home, to, to not have to move, to be still because it was winter time, you know, heading into spring, you know, this, it was a really reflective period. It was a period that for me was highly creative. It was a period where I was able to spend so much time with my son. He was in his junior year going into senior year um, during the pandemic. And then he had his senior year outside. He was able to go to school and graduate outside, you know, go outside to graduate. During that period, we were able to spend morning, noon, and night together. I knew where my son was, you know, I didn't have to worry about his safety. I was so at ease actually during that time. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think that this, this was a, a period that a pause that I felt like was uh, much needed. And also, a, a powerful reset for a lot of us to collectively think about what are we going to design from here forward? Like what, what, how do we design, you know, the, the life that we want to live? How do we design a life that we don't have to escape? How do we design, you know, a, a space that, that feels uh, regenerative and healing and, um, and health supportive, right? Like, we can create that for ourselves. And, and also we have the time and the space to not be distracted by so many things. And so there were people who were like, this is amazing because I have the space to kind of like live into, you know, dreams that I had and take a class I wanted to take or whatever, travel, whatever it was, be with family. And then you had people who were like, this is really tough, you know, to, to kind of like deal with the realities of what, what's settling in around, you know, the, the fallout of, of COVID. And so I feel like, you know, the, the important thing to, to take away how that experience in, impacts all of us, how we can be, you know, become different versions of ourselves as we navigate these experiences and, and look to see what's needed, right? Like, what is it that I need inside of this moment? And for me, that's how I've kind of, you know, evolved over the years to check in with myself. And it's on a moment to moment basis. It's not like, oh, on Saturdays I do self-care, right? I think to me, you know, the self-care is, is a moment to moment check-in and really allowing my internal compass to give me that information to provide me with the intelligence to then act upon, you know, or, or take, you know, actions or not, you know, based on what's, 
best for myself and those involved. And so that might mean, okay, I know that I have this schedule mm-hmm. of all these things to do today, but I'm going to take a nap, right? Or woof, that was a lot of conversation or a lot of like thinking through that last meeting. Let me just go and take a quick walk around the block or let me shut off my phone and do some phone fasting for the week or whatever that might be, right? I think that we have to give ourselves not just like an allocated day someplace, right? This arbitrary like time as a reward, but and not punish ourselves by saying, oh, if you don't finish this thing, you're not going to get to rest or you're going to stay up all night till you finish something. It's like, at what expense are we making these choices, right? And so I feel like most of how we've been, you know, sort of oriented around moving through life has been through this capitalist framework, right? Of, you know, of, of really not listening to the body, of stimulating, right? And so using things like coffee mm-hmm. and other things to sort of, you know, uh, hyper-stimulate you so that you can be productive and and not thinking about process and and time and space and and what's necessary to really like create it things take time, right? And and we're living through a period that it's all about like acceleration. And so people feel like they have to keep up and and I've intentionally decided like not to um, be in this hustle culture and not to move at a pace that's like faster than my own, faster than I can breathe, faster than I can walk. And, and I just believe that, that the universe will reward courage. Like we don't have to, you know, live into these principles that do not align with how we want to move through the world. And for the, you know, purposes of like, oh, I gotta, you know, this is the way to make money. And this is, there are so many ways for us to, to, to move intentionally and to connect with our, our work and to connect with other people that doesn't destroy us. And I'm interested in what gives back to the people, what gives back to the land you know, what, and, and what are we building for the future, right? Like if we're building something that's going to fall apart or be blown over, or I'm, I'm, I'm keenly interested, right. In how we think about futurism, how we think about, and we have so many teachers, right. That have given us frameworks to think about the future, but also designing, right. What does design look like you know, if we're if we're if we're really shackled to these ideals that are um, you know that are centered just on you know profit you know just profit driven, but not centered around humanity and centered around nature and centered around you know collective healing and growth, then we're actually building things that are going to fall apart. And so you know, I'm more. I'm more interested in what's going to, what's going to, what can we grow that when, when I'm passed on, you know, like people can continue to, you know, build upon, right? Like how can I just like continue to build, you know, lay some bricks right towards the future that, um, that's sustainable. And, and I think that slow, you know, slowness, ease, are really powerful ways 
for us to build things that last and for us to move in ways that that feed us and that grow us and that stretch us just enough in, instead of, um, you know, like overstretching, depleting, um, burning out. Like these are things that happen when we're moving too fast. And these are also things that can lead us to places of disappointment because we're also pointing our, um, our compass in the direction of, you know, like output instead of on process. And so this is really, and what I believe also emergent strategy is really also centered on process, right. And, and centered on like, you know, like, you know, not where we're going exactly, but also like, how are we going? Right. You know, like what, what's the pathway? How, how are we getting there? And what's entailed in, you know, the journey of getting there and not trying to just arrive someplace, like trying to get there, but like, let's be here. And as we're here, right, we're on our way, but like enjoying being on your way. And I find that, you know, just deciding to actively divest in the systems and processes and beliefs and philosophies and products and companies and whatever that don't make you feel good are really important. I love that. That is very much of like what you pay attention to grows, right? So the things that are not important, not paying attention. <laughs> and then and then fundamentally this like, you know, these principles of like, you know, move at the speed of trust. Hear what I hear you saying inside of like ease and moving slowly is like there's enough time to pay attention, enough time to be present to what is needed. And then from there, much can unfold. And that, because, you know, I think, you know, hearing you say, like, move in this way makes so much sense. And then when, when you look at the body of your work, you like, yeah, but you get a lot done, Latham. So but you know what's interesting about that? <laughs> so That's then, so you funny know, people say that, right? Because I'm like, it, I was like, yeah. Yeah, but I, I sleep well, I eat well, I get outside, I take a bath, I, I do all these things and I do them slow. And by the way, I'm late to everything too. So <laughs> I'm late to I stuff. So it, I yeah. think part of it, because, you know, it's, but there is this thing, I, I hear you say that. And I think that all that, all that can come back to also like our perception of time and space too, right? Because if you look at like socially, right, you see what's posted and it's like, okay. if you look to see, you might've seen something this week and then last week and whatever. And so the rest of your mind strings together what you believe is taking place, right? But at the same time, you might be seeing a culminating moment, right? Mm -hmm. That was focused upon for like a year. And then we might've just shown like a snapshot of something, right? And so, yes, it is it is mm -hmm. that so much is being done, but what I believe that is a testament to also, and I know this for your life as well, is that you know every day when you go and plant seed and every day when you decide like I can weed or I can till, you know, move the land a little bit. Oh, I have some compost. Let me bring that back to the earth. 
Let me go sing over the earth. Let the water hit the earth and the sun come shine. Let the elements of wind, you know, work on this mm-hmm. land. And then let all the microorganisms do their work underneath the bed of the soil. All of that is energy, right? And then every single day I come with the same intention and energy that this will grow. And so I believe it mm-hmm. is that where you focus your energy fruit is born, right? Like this, right? Where you're putting your intention, growth happens, right? So if that's planting a lot of seeds over time and they mm-hmm. all grow at their own paces because they all have you know, divine timing encoded, then those things are coming up when they come up and that I have no control over, right? I only have control over like the intention and putting the work into the world, right? But the timing of how it comes mm-hmm. out or what it you know, looks like, it's like all of that is sort of out of my hands. And so sometimes I see something come into fruition that I feel like I was praying and then like really thinking about and then dreaming on like 10 years ago, right? Or I don't even realize like, oh my God, yes, I remember this was, right? You make those connections and you're like, I'm in that moment now. Mm -hmm. And I always ask myself and, and spirit, like, you know, please, please keep me moving in a way where I can still see recognize and give thanks for these pockets of uh, and nuggets of of um of grace when i see come through something that was an obstacle before that now shows up as an opportunity or now shows up as something that's moved through completion and now i'm really looking at you know the mm-hmm. full circle bloom of this moment right that i was praying on or like feeling was like a, a big, you know, obstacle or it was challenging. And now we're triumphant in this moment. I want to be able to remember those moments. And so I always, I try to write them down, but I always ask like, please keep me soft because I want to make sure that on the other side of this, that I'm thankful on the other side of this, that I remember what it took to get here. Right. And so I think that, I think that people are seeing, you know, what, what we have externalized as like, oh, look at them doing stuff in the world or she's doing this or she's doing that. But a lot of this is like 20 years in the making, right? Like this is just, I've been doing, I've been, I'm a tourist, so we don't quit, right? So (laughs) we don't quit stuff. So I'm, I'm steadily doing the Mm -hmm. same thing over and over. And, and, and so what you're seeing is the fruits of that, right? It's not like, the toil now, you're actually seeing the fruit, right? The toil has been, you know, over all these years. And so what people don't understand, and I wish that we could get back to this, is that, you know, cultivation is key. Like, mm-hmm. you know, really, really putting your hands in the earth, right? And grounding your feet in the soil and, and committing yourself to a practice of tending is what makes things grow. And so it is not hustling. It is not like hurry up and like, you know, like I feel people say like, oh, you're killing it. And you're do you're like all those words, right? I'm like, I am not killing anything. I'm nurturing. (laughs) I am nurturing. I am nurturing. I am nurturing. I am cultivating. I am weeding. I am singing, I am praying, mm. I am moving my hips and swaying, I am feeling the, the elements touch me, I am being tender, I am being receptive, 
I am listening. I am not hustling, right? Mm-hmm. I am not. I am not killing it, right? Because th- what we're doing is actually creating space for this tough to happen, mm-hmm. right? We're we're making room. And so that's the only way it's possible. So it looks like all these things are happening. It is not because I am actively like, you know, going out and doing all. It is because I'm being still and I'm being committed and I'm showing up every single day and planting my feet in that earth and rolling up my sleeves and putting my hands in that soil and feeling those worms and feeling those roots and moving, right? I am doing that every day. Mm. And so we have to make that commitment to ourselves to to show up every day and tend our gardens. Mm. I love this so much, Latham. I love it. Uh, you know, Adrian talks about it as there's always enough room, enough time for the right work, right? So if you focus on the right thing, then there's enough time. And we then experience the magic of time bending, right? Because we're focused in the right place and the universe kind of co-conspires with us in that. Yes. And I'm reminded of the principle that you talk about in GLOW, which is like a womb-festing, right? Like not trying to actively make a thing happen, mm. but you know, tending and letting it happen. Right. Like that there's so many elements that need to work, right? So if you <laughs> just let it be and do the thing that is most important for you to do in the moment, whether that's the prayer, the song, the sway, the vision, then those things can happen. And I'm really, really, I, I feel I feel really moved by that because I, I think that is probably incredibly difficult and important work for some for it's incredibly important work for all a difficult concept to hold on to um when mm. we have so many other models of doing it so i just really really want to honor and appreciate that you're yes. asking and inviting and practicing that you know paying attention to the right thing slowing down and connecting and it, it means a lot for also just being present to one's life, right? There's this sort of deep presence there where it's so easy to be distracted and not present and available for what's here. Mm. So I I just thank you for being in that practice and showing us yes. um, what's there. So and <clears throat> I mean, I'm like, I have so many questions, Latham, that I'm like, okay. I'm not even answering any of them, by the way. I'm just... <laughs> I'm like, I'm just like, well. <laughs> you know they call me the night queen. Cause I live in the dark. I love this principle of staying soft because I really know that in the times when I haven't been well, it's actual it's the rigidity. Mm-hmm. That it's, it's it's the rigidity 
that has come as a way of bracing and trying to deal that has not let me then be fully expressed or available, right? Like in some ways yeah. you kind of steal yourself to a moment. You become like crystallized and ambered in it. And it's like, oh, but I, life needs flow. It actually does need that like softness yes. and that grace. So I really honor you in this prayer of softness and I really end the ability to be thankful for where you are. And I know also how important prayer is. You know, you talk about it also as like a, as a practice, a practice. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I, I want to ask this. I also am hearing like so many different elements. You're like, I get into the soil and I move. Right. And that, I think that is both literal, like you're in the soil and then also figurative. <laughs> um, and I hear the way that there's so many different elements at play to support what is moving through and with you. Mm. And and you t- shared a little bit earlier about the fire. And I heard mm. you also talk and or read and listened and glow about um glow up about your fire there as a teacher. Fire and and so I I would love for you to share a little bit about this element of fire and how it has taught you. What, what do you think fire is for you? Yeah, and what is it sharing? Are there other elements that are teaching you in this time that you um, would like to share with? Yes. Wow. What what a beautiful question. Yes. Yeah, so there were two fires in my life. One that I shared earlier with Mia, showing up in my life to. Not as a, not only as a friend, as a nurse, as a caregiver, as a supporter, as I was sort of dealing with the aftermath of that fire and, and the wound that I had. But there was another fire that took place actually in 2014. And um, it was, I was living in Harlem. And it was the day before, two days before Thanksgiving. And I am reminded of that fire every year because of, you know, the holiday time frame, right? And um, it took place, um, I had left the house already for the day, and a neighbor of mine called and said, your apartment's on fire. I was like, what? And I went up um, later in the day and just saw that, like, my apartment was the only one that really survived. Um, there was a lot of smoke damage. We couldn't live there. It was environmentally not safe. So it was the, that morning was the last time my son ever saw the house that he had spent his entire life growing up in up until age um, 11. Um, and he had lived there his whole life. So just, he learned to sit up, he learned to crawl, he learned to walk, he learned to run, he learned to climb upstairs, he learned to carry grocery bags, all of that in that house. Everything happened there for his life. And so it was the last time he walked, he saw anything that had to do with that home. And I was so terrified to tell him about the, the fire. And what was so interesting to me, we were set up in a hotel actually. Well, you know, some friends really, like everybody came together and we ended up at the Soho house in the hotel there actually. And um, I told him there, I said, yeah, you know, we had this fire. He goes, is everyone okay? I said, yes. He was like, well, that's what matters. And he never again asked me, where are my books? Where am I this? Where's like, he never asked for anything. And um, it was quite amazing. So many things did survive. So we were able to keep a lot of things, but, mm. but many things didn't. As you know how fires are, they, they cleanse and 
you know, destroy and make space for new. And so for me, both times, um, it was a starting over period. I moved both times to a different place afterwards. One thing that was interesting about where I was living in Harlem was as I was coming up on the 10 year mark, I was like, you know, I should really be thinking about moving. Like I'm, I'm outgrowing, you know, like it's like, I felt like I was moving through this space of cocooning, right. That I was stretching and I didn't have a place to land when it was time to emerge. Right. And so it was like the fire made that space because I didn't have the courage to make that space. And, and so then I ended up like, you know, moving into a new place in a different neighborhood and all these things also happened, like doors opened and different things happened in my life as a result of the move mm-hmm. and as, as a result of sort of opening that space up from the fire. And so it was, it's always inconvenient, by the way. And I feel like any, you know, lesson that shows up in your life, by the way, comes at a time of inconvenience, <laughs> right? It doesn't come, you're not, you're not like, let me be rested and, you know, having space on my calendar. And here we are with like this new, you know, life event that takes place. Um, It it comes at an inconvenient time. And I I think about that in terms of the work that I do, you know, and, and the work that we guide folks to do as doulas, you know, babies come on their birthdays, right? Like you could be doing whatever you're doing and it's time. Right. And so, um, Similarly, it's it's kind of like a teacher in that way. Uh, fire has been, and um, and I, I hope not to have any more. <laughs> right. So um, I feel like that was enough, you know. So, okay. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but it did lead me to this moment, you know. So I'm I'm grateful because you know the 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 time that that occurred in my life. I, I think that you know it it was a it was a powerful teacher, and I feel like I've been really committed to doing the work on a regular basis of of clearance also. And so a very interesting thing happened, the opposite of fire, which was water, right? And um, we had a hurricane that passed through New York in the fall. And if you had a basement, you were impacted. And so our whole basement cellar mm-hmm. area was flooded. And it was flooded because the sewer line backed up in, mm-hmm. not because like water, yeah, the sewer line backed right. up. And so um, thankfully it was, it was clear water because so much water had come through that it was just water and like, you know, sh- just, but disgusting, it's New York. So, you know, like, let's not be, you know, let's be clear. Like I didn't want, want to see sewage in my house, but um, there was water everywhere. And so again, another cleansing where several days of sorting through things that got wet and having to throw away a lot of stuff again. And, you know, me being in a place to, you know, when it was, it's dry now, it's organized now, but what it offered up again was an opportunity to kind of like sort through life again, sort through things that were in this tucked away area, like, are these things necessary? Right. And then organizing everything so that if it were to happen again, like we, you know, we're safe in terms of like things being off the ground. And, but it was very interesting, right? Just there's these cycles of Mm. cleansing that come. And so, and I had been saying like, oh, I need to organize this area. 
And so God was like, I'm going to hook you up. <laughs> Let me go ahead and put this water down here because you are not going to do this anytime soon. And so, you know, and so like I saw it again, like, yes, it was inconvenient. It was also, it was also a blessing to really sort through and, and allowed me to kind of organize some different things um, that I hadn't done yet. So that's how, you know, nature teaches me in, in some extreme ways, you know, to, to move in, 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 um, along the continuum of like kind of giving and taking away, you know, like here comes something and now it's gone. I've, I've seen that through so many ways through, through nature, um, but primarily through fire and water. Um, those, those lessons have come. And, and I think that, um, you know, when you're on the other side, right, when things are settled and organized, you can really see, you know, like, oh, this is why this is necessary, right? And I think, um, you know, in the moment, it was just really more, I, I was just hoping like, oh, I hope this didn't burn or this didn't get, you know, wet or that didn't get wet. And then on the other side, it was like, Latham is books, like you can buy more books or whatever it was right, that, right. you know, I was like, oh, it's actually not a big deal anyway. Like we're safe, you know, and this gives an opportunity again to, you know, to, to release. And so I was, I was actually thankful on the other side of that experience, but yeah, you're right. I've had many, you know, many of these opportunities show up that, and by the way, I've been safe and, and, you know, healthy throughout all these experiences. So I'm just very grateful This podcast is produced by Natalie Peart. Music for the Emergent Strategy podcast is provided by Hooray for the Riffraff and their album, Life on Earth. To support the ongoing work of the Emergent Strategy Ideation Institute, please make a donation at alliedmedia.org forward slash E S 